Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we have Sharon Nimi. She spent 43 years in quality engineering when her health took a nosedive. Regular Western medicine told her it was just normal aging, but that didn't feel right with her. This began her journey into healing with Ayurveda. For 15 years, she used the practices she was taught and gave advice to friends, family, and referrals. Three years ago, she finally left the corporate world and founded Your Way Wellness, a company focused on health and healing using Ayurveda. In today's episode, we'll be talking about Ayurveda for weight loss and longevity. Please enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Kaka TV podcast. Your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, Kat. Thanks for inviting me to join you and everyone that's listening in. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey into finding Ayurveda and specifically what your health issues may have been, and what did conventional medicine tell you was the issue, and then what did Ayurvedic practices do to help? I would love to. Thank you. So for 40 years of my life, I thought I was healthy. I took care of myself based on what I observed family and friends doing around me. So I was never really taught how to take care of myself. I taught myself through observation. My mother was an RN, came from a Western practice family, and had the normal kid stuff going on, the chicken pox and those type of illnesses. But the thing that I struggled with was my weight, Um, always 10 to 30 pounds excess I would carry. And during a time of super skinny supermodels, It was just one of the things that I felt was a challenge that I dealt with all of my life until my mid-40s. But anyway, I was really healthy and active and joined the workforce when I was right out of high school and 20-year IT career, climbing the corporate ladder in an industry where there's a lot of male dominance there was extra important for me to work hard. And so there was extra added stress, the family life, the life in general, but generally healthy throughout that time until I hit my mid forties. And all of a sudden the 20 pounds wouldn't even start to come off, but never mind come off, started gaining momentum. And I found myself 70 pounds overweight. I was dealing with pre-diabetic. I had 10 allergies. I had high cholesterol levels. I had hypertension and I had digestive issues that just would not quit. It was this cycle that all of a sudden I went into that it was one thing after another. And every single doctor that I went to said it's normal aging. And here's a prescription. And if you don't feel better, give me a call. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And 
family and friends were telling me that it's normal aging and it's in your genes and look around you. We all have these things going on at this age. <laughs> You're lucky you you reached for mid forties and didn't be weren't well, you weren't dealing with these things. But anyway, I had a deep connection to Mother Nature and there was something inside of me that said, this is not normal. <laughs> They're telling me it's normal, but this is not normal. And I was facing menopause as well. So all of this came crashing down on me. So I just went on a mission and I went and found uh, natural healing methods to just try, dabble. And for six months, I was doing healthier eating, even though I thought I was eating healthy. I was changing diets. I was doing a lot of different things and it was working. But one weekend, one of my girlfriends said, let's go away. I, there's this training on Ayurveda and let's go and check it out. And I said, yeah, let's go. And it was a light bulb went off inside of me and it lit me up and I connected at a real deep level. And within a week, I found myself, I'm still working my corporate job. I was a quality engineer and doing a lot of traveling and that sort of stuff. But I immersed myself, even though I was working 60, 70 hour work weeks, I immersed myself in a four year academic study of Ayurveda, two years at the Rishi Center in Newport, Rhode Island, and then finished off at two years at Kripalu out in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. And during that time, I just kept applying it, all the knowledge I was getting, I was there for nobody else but myself to heal myself. And if anyone was interested in what I was doing, I'd help them and consult with them and that sort of thing. And, and I, when I got out of study, I was like 50 pounds lighter. I had a lot of these indicators had gone away. I still had allergies. I still had some digestive issues I was dealing with but I was in a much better place running into 50 at my fifties as I was in my mid forties and went back into full-time 20 more years in my career, keeping applying these principles. And four years ago, I was let go from my last corporate America job and decided that it was time for me to bring the voice of Ayurveda out to other women that were struggling like I was, trying to find a way to become healthy naturally and transform their lives. And honestly, I'm 60, I just turned 66 and I am healthier today and more vibrant than I was in that, that corporate boardroom when I was 45 years old. And yeah, so that is my journey. And here I am today. Could you tell us what is it about Ayurveda that makes it such a powerful method of healing? And how is it different than your traditional conventional Western medicine approach? Our Western practices really look at, I, I see them as a sick care system, that they're in there when you reach a specific point and you need help. Your body is already at a point of breakdown. There's so many other differences, but what for me makes Ayurveda so powerful is that it is the based on mother nature's playbook. I say that because we are all part of this environment that we exist in. And according to Ayurveda, we and everything and every, everything around us is comprised of five elements, which is ether, air, fire, 
water, and earth. And knowing what your composition is of these elements, and we are all unique in our balance and in our composition, and knowing how to interact with the environment around you appropriately, you're able to maintain a level of health naturally. And Ayurveda states that the human body can sustain life for 120 years if it is maintained correctly. And the whole premise of Ayurveda isn't, we, we heal when the body becomes imbalanced, but the whole premise of Ayurveda is preventive and rejuvenative. So we look at keeping the body in a functioning state for healthy longevity. Knowing that Ayurveda is so ancient, how can it be applied in a modern world? What I, I, I have to smile every time I hear a new scientific results coming out from studies. It's being proven now from modern, modern practices. But the beauty of it is that it's considered ancient, but it's far from being old in practice. It's that it's actually a coming of age in a rebirth of knowing how to self-care, take care of the self, and we have the innate ability to heal. So it's, and to be able to apply it. So I'm a quality engineer by trade, 43 years in the practice, and I have this analytical mind. And when you dig into Ayurveda, it's anything else. It's far beyond ancient and it's very prescriptive and you're able to translate it into our modern day practices, daily routines, seasonal routines, those sort of um, protocols. Can we go over what the body types in Ayurveda are and why is it important to know your body type? Love this. So I had mentioned the, the five Mahabhutas or the five uh, great elements that Ayurveda is really the, the basic principle of ether, air, fire, water, and earth. And everything is made up of those five great elements. Those elements are, I don't want to say divided because we are, we individually have these five elements within us, just in varying degrees. They come together to form what we call doshas or body types. And they are vata, which is comprised of ether and air, pitta, which is comprised of heat and water and kapha, and they are comprised of earth and water. So if you look at the elements and their qualities, so ether and air are light and airy, and pitta, fire is heating, and your water is moist and unctuous, and your earth is very grounding and are rock solid. So if you look at their qualities, you're able to discern body types and what could possibly balance or imbalance them based on the elements. So 
Our vatas, I consider them my my hummingbirds. They are light and airy and they love to move from one thing to another. And they need more grounding in their lives. And our pitta types are fiery. They are transformative. They are action. They want to be in there to make a difference. They can be very prone to a lot of digestive issues and heat issues. And then our coffers are very grounding and are solid and when I look at someone that you just want to run up and hug because they just, they're soft and they want to pull them, you into them. Those are our kapha types. And just by knowing your body type, you are able then to understand the foods that will best fuel you and those that will cause imbalance, the things in your lifestyle that would do the same, because it's not just food. It is, we look at other inputs lifestyle habits, processing body functioning, because these doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha also have a seat within the body and are responsible for the functioning of certain body uh, systems. So we look at those imbalances. And then the, the last part is the importance of looking at our output channels and uh, how they are functioning. And all of these <laughs> Yeah, these three body types, you can then customize the health plan based on your specific body type and imbalances. Are there any tricks to find your body type? Because I have been trying to figure out mine for years. I remember when I was younger, someone who was in, into Ayurveda said that I was pitta. I was very thin and fast and I could digest very quickly. So she said that was pitta. I don't know if that's true. And now I feel since I've gotten older, I'm not that anymore. <laughs> but what are the tricks to figure it out? Because when people explain it, I always get confused. And can you be a mix of two of them? Yes, you're not just specifically one. You have all of those within you. So it's a matter of, so I just don't want to confuse you even more. So your body, when we say your body type, it's just not your physical attributes, but it's also your emotional, your behavioral and psychological behaviors that make up your entire body type. So for instance, you could be have a kapha body. So you're very sturdy and you have a, a lot of stamina and bulk. And I don't want to mean excess weight, but bulk to you. But you are sharp thinker, your digestive system is like crazy on fire, you've got, you're sensitive to the sun, there's different things that would, or sorry, you're angry a lot, there's different emotional characteristics that would come out as a pitta mind, but a kapha body. So the best way to find out, so there are body type quizzes from A to Z out there. And I would just pick two or three of them and run through them. LifeSpa has a great one. I have one on my Your Way Wellness website, but just run through a couple of them and you will get a general sense um, of your specific body type. But Ayurveda does recommend that that is absolutely the first thing that you figure out as you're getting to 
want to apply some Ayurvedic principles because everything is based off of body type, your age, the, <clears throat> sorry, the season that we're in, as well as your environment. There's different attributes that we look at. They all are influenced by Vata Pitta Kapha. Does your body type change as you age or if you're unhealthy? Like, how does that work? Or is it so, always the same? Yeah. So you're born with a basic constitution. Your body type will not change. There's what we call a prakruti and a vikruti. And the prakruti is you're born with your innate body type. Vikruti happens over time. So we recognize that there's three stages in life. Childhood is kapha, adulthood is pitta, and our elder years, or as in Ayurveda calls them, our wisdom years, that's our vata time of year. So these elements will influence you as you age. So as you're in your 20s to 50s, pitta is dominant. So the fiery element. So if you're pitta body type, then you should be very aware and looking for those type of pro protocols that are going to keep you cool and calm you down and, dry, and actually dry you because pitta is water as well. So there's a moisture to pittas that needs to be watched as well. So what is the myth that the $72 billion weight loss market wants us to continue to believe? It's really that it's a diet and exercise will solve the, your weight problem. And just stop eating or eating different or exercising more. You're bound to lose weight. Yes, that's it's so true. But most often when you stop, it's what you're doing. The body has readjusted and the weight starts coming back again. And that's what I dealt with my entire life. Ayurveda recognizes as body excess weight on the body is that it's just an indicator just an indication of aging too. It's an indicator that something within the body has backup and stagnation. There's stagnation going on. So we look at three things. You to break you need to break the stagnation. And once you break that, the weight will release in a way that it really doesn't have a chance to return. That's permanent weight loss. So what the stagnation is more than likely caused by are three things. Your, something's going on the quality, with the quality of your inputs, and it's not just your food. It's what do you listen to? What do you see? What do you touch? What do you smell? So it's all your input channels. So we look at that. What's the quality of those? Then specifically from a weight loss perspective, it is... The quality of your digestion because it's not you are what you eat it is you are what you digest and so we need to look at how optimized that digestive system is from the beginning to the end so the quality of that and then the other station that we need to look at is your channels your of elimination and it's not just your urination and bowels which is an important factor ayurveda looks at the entire body as a channel of elimination and shrotas so we need to look at all of the channels and how open and functioning they are so if what goes in can't be used or can't come out 
then it has nothing else to do but to store it. And so that's where the gaining of the weight is the indicator, the symptom. It's the result of a stagnant channel somewhere in the body. That's interesting that you bring that up because I had someone once come on and say that if you take a lot of hot baths or go to the sauna a lot and sweat a lot, it's really good for weight loss even because it also detoxifies things that could be holding estrogen or whatever in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and fat stores, it's toxins love to be stored in our fat cells. So it's, it's really important, which adds more weight to the body. So it it is, it's just really important to, so I really, I say the quality of our input plus the quality of our, as as related to weight, our digestion, plus the quality of our outputs equal how well balanced our weight is. In Ayurveda, there's, they don't have any numbers for healthy weight. It's, (laughs) do you feel good? Are you vibrant? Are you, is the body functioning correctly? And that's really the focus. And once you get your body stabilized, innately, it will bring it back into homeostasis and the weight will just start. Literally, when I was doing this, I felt like it, where'd that go, five pounds go? I didn't do anything. It, it, I call it autopilot because it is, the body is finally kicked in and working as it should. How can you lose weight in a way that it doesn't have a chance to return? What do you do? That's it. It's getting your input station optimized. Make sure your digestion is well taken care of. And in Ayurveda, we recommend, there's so many cleanses out there, but what we do recommend is twice a year, do a panchakama, which is really focused on digestion and making sure that the, your channels are optimized. So that is one thing absolutely to do. And then the third uh, is that, that those channels of elimination make sure they are, so many women want to block their sweat. I, they can't see me sweat. That is such a, a huge channel of elimination that needs to be open and flowing. Your breath, breathing, pranayam, making sure that you're releasing <laughs> the toxins that you're probably inhaling, making sure those three things are optimized and weight cannot hang around. Excess weight cannot hang around. And I do panchakama twice a year and I was told I would never be thin. And I was, as I told the story, I was 70 pounds overweight. So I am now 115 pounds and I just watched it, the scale go down and down. I'm like, I can't get any thinner, quote unquote. And all of a sudden it stopped and it's regulated there. I go between 115 and 120 for the last 15 years. It has not come back. I love how you mentioned that women have to sweat. It's the one thing that everybody says they don't want to do. They're always trying to avoid it. I was just blocked today because someone was talking about getting the Botox injections so that you don't sweat. And I'm like, you need to sweat. It's actually a good thing if you sweat. Even if you sweat a lot, that means it's really working. That one detoxification pathway is working for you because I've always had a problem with sweating that I have to go into a sauna regularly to make sure that I sweat twice a week at least. 
But now you see women who are like trying to stop such a great detox method. Yeah. And have you noticed the increase in breast cancer? So if the toxins can't get out, they're going to find a home. And the biggest release of sweat is under the armpit, which is closest to the breast. And if you hold the toxins there, which is a natural channel, it's trying to get the heck out of there. It's going to go, oh, I guess they want me to stay. And it's going to find the closest fatty tissue that it can, which is the breast. How is it possible to get younger, at least feel younger, instead of older as the years go by? Yeah, that's the other, the myth, right? We age equals getting old. If you're a certain age, guaranteed the body's just going to start deteriorating. And the it's the same cause as the excess weight. Ayurveda will look at the signs of aging, the the thinning skin, the cracking joints, uh, a lot of digestive issues, and even diabetes and so forth. But anyway, it's on the rise. And it is because the body can't rejuvenate forever. <laughs> That's It's just, we'd all be alive forever. So there is a point in our lives where rejuvenation of the tissues becomes less effective. So the first thing that is the issue is the stagnation, just as with the weight gain. It's seen as a, an indicator that there's something that's not flowing correctly in the body. It's the most important thing to do to not age then is to break the stagnation so that you keep that flow, <clears throat> excuse me, running smoothly. But this is the area in Ayurveda that I specialized in. There are eight branches, one of them surgery, pediatrics. So again, going back to the, is Ayurveda ancient? No, it's very modern. And one of the branches that I did study in was Rasayana, which is rejuvenation. So that twice a year point, spring and fall, where you cleanse, you also need to do some rejuvenation practices. But more importantly, as you age, you're coming into your vata time of life. So you're becoming more ether, air. And so that's why the drying of the skin and the cracking of the joints, eating more unctuous foods, as well as performing a lot of oiling, bayanga. There's other specific therapies that give the body a, the proper hydration is important because it all starts with rasa, rakta, which is our plasma and our blood, and which is rasayana, rejuvenation. So that's important. And making sure that you're able to absorb the foods and the nutrition uh, that you are putting into your body as well as onto your body. And you do these practices on a consistent, not, I do daily practices, but even a consistent basis. That's how you maintain a, a healthy body, healthy mind. Meditation as well is thrown in there to make sure that you're connected. That's one of the first things that Ayurveda says in how do you define health? And it's one who is connected to self. So you have those things going on with connection, with rejuvenation, you can live, as I said, Ayurveda, 120 years, the body can maintain uh, life as long as it's maintained correctly. 
I've noticed that maybe I'm not the most healthy person in the world, but I still look relatively younger, act younger, not as far as personality, but I'm faster. I jump around more than my friends that are actually even younger than me. And I have friends as much as 20 or more years younger than me. And I have no issues hanging out with them. But I've noticed that a lot of my friends that are my age have lost that pep in their step and they're getting slower and they're looking older than mm-hmm. what I do. So what are some of the factors that we might be doing without thinking about it that are causing us to age? I think the first thing is that we grow old, that it's inevitable. And the first thing that I work on with new clients is to get them to realize that aging is a choice. And it comes down to our daily choices, actually, and finding purpose for greater than your 60s and 70s. That's not the, that's halfway through as far as I'm concerned, my life. And the mindset first and foremost, is going to be what carries you into what your health and longevity is going to look like. Our bodies become conditioned and habituated, right, over time. And the problem is that more often than not, our bodies over time take over the mind. And it should be the mind that owns the body, not the body that owns the mind. So as you're evolving, you, you become in need of certain feelings, certain attitudes, and the body craves those hormonal releases. So we often get stuck in age because we can't get ourselves out of our own way. And it's not that we feel good, we feel normal. It's something that we feel familiar with. And so many people would rather stay in that familiar zone than step outside of it and be uncomfortable and learn something, challenge themselves. And you mean I can live past 70? (laughs) Or what can I do? You're getting me out of my comfort, my beliefs. And that's very hard the older we get to change and to embrace um, new ways. When I was younger, my father would show me videos and tell me stories of people in different countries that would live until 130, 140 even. And he showed me a few interviews that I still remember to this day of this old man in Afghanistan that was 130. And then they show his mother who's still alive. And it was just like crazy. But this was modern day. It was still happening. He told me a story about a man who was the oldest person alive in in Iran at the time. And they wanted to study him. So they took him to the city. They gave him the rich foods. He had much lower amounts of walking. And within a week, he died. So if the body can sustain life for 120 years, why are the majority of us only living for 70-ish years? Is it the food, the lack of movement? What's sad is you'd think that with all our modern technology that we'd be alive longer. But the last three years, there's been a decline in our average uh, lifespan, which is sad. And those that are living longer are living with such a poor quality of life 
that you wonder how are they enjoying life? I'm not saying that people who don't have a healthy life can't be happy, but the goal is to, my goal is to live long and healthy and active life. And I think a lot of that has to do with, basically it has nothing to do with genetics. It has everything to do with our lifestyles and our choices. And 80% of the reason why people are falling ill and, and dying at such a young age is preventable. <laughs> it's our lifestyles that are killing us. As you just as you just told in your story, you had this gentleman over a hundred years old come in, take probably the stress that was on that man's body just was too much for how frail he must have been at that point, right? So what is the number one recommendation that can bring health and healing to the body and how would that work? It is definitely lifestyle. What's required is self-care, self-awareness, and then um, making the appropriate choices to find your way to the health, the level of health that is right for you. This is not a one-size-fits-all this is every individual has their own life, their own purpose, their own story, and their own conditions. And to be able to connect to yourself and to a higher purpose, whatever you want to call the universe, God, and get to know the true you, which is energetically who you are. To me, that's how you find your way through this thing we call life, and uh, hopefully get some enjoyment out of it. What are some signs of digestive issues that people might not notice? They might think this is normal. And are there any herbs or practices that people can incorporate if they have digestive issues? Yeah, this is so great. This is, oh, that this is feels normal. Uh, this is something I'm used to. <laughs> so digestive issues come in all shapes and sizes from excess gas burping to heartburn, the burning, to issues swallowing, to pain in the stomach when you eat, quote unquote, certain foods through constipation or loose stools, all of that is considered digestive issues. Bad breath, that would be an issue of stagnation. So they come in all shapes and sizes. So we look at digestion as heating. It's pitta dominant. You need a lot of heat in order to break down the nutrients that you're putting in and all the acids and uh, so forth that are thrown into the stomach in order to break down the food. The, depending on the issue, would be the protocol that would be recommended. But what I typically first ask is, tell me what your eating habits are. And one of the first things that I get them to recognize, or hopefully to a protocol that they would agree to is to look at making lunch your biggest meal of the day, where you eat your most harder to digest foods, that your breakfast be on the lighter side and your dinners as well be on the lighter side. And before, and if you're pushing at seven o'clock at night, hopefully, but more so towards six, 
But that's important because, as I had mentioned, these doshas are dominant during different times of the day. And so pitta, which is our heating element, which is in oversees our digestion, is at its peak between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. So when the sun is overhead, that's the hottest part of the day, science is now proving that our digestive enzymes are fired up and ready to do their job at that time of the day. So getting your food intake to align to the rhythms of nature most often cure all these digestive issues that people are having and popping uh, antacids and this and that. And just by following some base, what we would call dinacharya or daily routines, it takes care of it because the body is doing its job when it's supposed to be doing its job. So it's supposed to be digesting between 10 and 2. So throw the food at it. But it's not supposed to be digesting food late at night when your body's supposed to be cleaning up. So just aligning like that often helps. The other thing is we do recommend herbs. Before I would recommend an herb, I would recommend trying, if you're having digestive issues, to take a slice of fresh ginger, squeeze on a little lemon, put on a tiny bit of rock salt or Himalaya salt, and then chew on that 15 minutes before every meal. And that fires up the digestive fire and gives it the ability to break down the food and do its job a lot more efficiently, as well as don't drink liquids during your meals. Sip, have a few sips of thing of water or a warm liquid here and there, but never guzzle liquids during a meal. It puts out the digestive fire. So those are the things that I would recommend for folks with digestive issues. Yeah, that's such a good point. My husband's always stop drinking water. You cannot drink water while we're eating. And I'm like, oh, but I enjoy it. But in Chinese medicine, they also say do not drink water, especially cold water around when you're eating. Exactly. It's our fire. It's like going up to a campfire and taking a bucket of ice and throwing it on it. <laughs> it's going to sit there and smolder and it needs to be heated so it can cook and do its job. Do you think we could trick the body and put like a heating pad on our stomachs while we're eating? <laughs> Actually, a heating pad after you eat is really good to help the body absorb the nutrients that it is just breaking down. Ooh, I like that. Or maybe get in the sauna after you eat something. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Or a nice hot bath. Oh, better. I used to make, um, I haven't done it in a while, but I would put an Epsom salt bath really hot, the hottest I could get it and get in there and have my husband serve me dinner in the bath. <laughs> oh, you have a lot of vata in you. There you go. <laughs> so what is the difference between how Ayurveda approaches food versus like our old food pyramid or counting calories or even the modern day counting your macros? No, oh, this is another great subject. So yeah, Western nutrition looks at your food in the macro nutrient pyramid, carbs, fats, that sort of thing. Ayurveda looks at food energetically and according to tastes. 
So we look at food as sweet, sour, salty, bitter, astringent, or pungent. So we don't look at the, them from, hey, stay away from carbs or don't eat fat. We will look at the body type. So if you're a Vata body type, you want to be consuming foods that are more grounding for to balance. So those would be foods that would contain earth, water, and fire elements for our Vata types. And those are our sweet foods, our salty foods, and our sour foods. So we would want to stay away from our sweets, uh, sorry, our bitters and our astringents for vatas. We want to gravitate towards our sweets. So that's how we look. And we don't count calories. It's all based on each meal should have each one of those six tastes on the plate based on the elemental makeup that you need for your body type. And you, if you take your hand and two hands together and you put it together and cup them, you should have the equivalent of two handfuls of that for a, a general meal. And plus a little bit more if it's noontime or a little bit less in the morning. But that's the general rule. So it's far from how the Western nutrition is approached, uh, completely different. And so knowing not just that we don't just look at the taste, there's other qualities and where in the digestive tract it's going to heat or cool, that sort of thing. When we get down to using food as uh, medicine, but in general, we look at it from, is it sweet, sour, salty, pungent, bitter, astringent, and is it hot or cooling, heating or cooling? And then that's how the diet is recommended. I remember my husband when I don't know what was wrong with me at the time, but he would tell me, you need to have something bitter, go get some bitter foods. And he would give me like this bitter melon. It was disgusting. But he said it was good to balance me out or whatever. Yeah. And there are bitter herbs because yes, er bitter on the plate is not always palatable. So using hang and, and different types of, of bitters. And I'm not saying so much that you, I did it to my husband once I put too much in our soup and he just took one bite and that was the end of that. So just enough. It's all about balancing. It's not about um, overdoing. It's about finding that right mix of those tastes. So why is paying attention to the rhythms of the day and the season and the body so important to maintaining health and balance? I know you went over this a little bit, but I'm also, I wanted to ask about, I know you said there's uh, seasonal cleanses that you have to do, but what about parasite cleanses? Are those the same as a digestive cleanse or is that something different? No, that would be a specific cleanse. So one of the things I did have as I started my journey, I did have giardia. So I did have parasites and there is a specific cleanse for that. But what's, what's important with the rhythms is that day and season is that is it, there's a dosha. There is a, a more prominent element that is there as part of a day or part of a season. So you want to be able to take advantage of that to either suppress it or to use it, right, to stimulate action in, in the body and the mind. So 
from a daily perspective, you have kapha that is dominant from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. You have pitta that's dominant from 10 to 2, that's morning and evening, and then vata from 2 to 6. So it's important to know that because just the um, transformation of your food at noontime, you'd want to use that to be able to have the body efficiently break down your nutrients. So eat between 10 and 2. Or kapha in the morning, you want to get up before 6 because kapha is very heavy and dense. And if you get up any later than 6, the later you go towards 10, the denser the element gets and the harder it is for you to wake up. Those are examples. So you would want to change your life or look at your lifestyle and what you're doing and to align to best take advantage of those element peaks and valleys. Now, seasonally, we look at it. Summer is pitta time. The summertime is the hottest time. Your fall and your winter is your, excuse me, your vata time. Very cooling, very windy, very drying. And then in the spring is our kapha time, which is very dense and moist. And when you plant, right? So we cleanse in the spring and the fall because of the elemental makeup is there to allow the body to release in the fall. You see all the leaves falling, everything is letting go in preparation for the the cooling element in the wind element that's coming in the winter and in the spring we cleanse a natural detox from all the dense foods that we've eaten over the winter we see all the greens coming in and those are what um, the greens are what help push the stagnation that was more than likely starting to build up over the winter the phlegm and that sort of stuff and push the the liver and kick in the digestive system getting it ready for the the heat of the summer. We don't recommend cleansing in the summer or the winter because the body is already under enough stress dealing with the heat or dealing with the the cold of that season. Mm, That's interesting. I want to go back first to where you said uh, waking up times. Are there different waking up times for your different dosha? Absolutely. In general, it's recommended to be up by sunrise in general. But kapha, because kapha is already so dealing with a lot of heaviness, the heaviness of the morning weighs even more on them. So you would say, you need to get up by six. Don't let that element of kapha come in before you're awake. Vatas, on the other hand, because more than likely your vatas are up before six o'clock, but because they're that's their time, that's when it's the most light during the day. It's okay if they sleep past six o'clock. They would be able to that that kapha dominance probably wouldn't bother them so much. Because I know that I have a hard time waking up in the morning, but my daughter and my mother they will wake up as soon as the sun rises and they're ready to go. It's very annoying. <laughs> Don't talk to me yet. Those more than likely are your kaphas who have slept past their their time that kapha wasn't dominant. And also you said during different times of the year, you want to cleanse and other times you want to avoid it. I live in 
Miami where it's hot all year long. It'll be 99 on Christmas even. We don't have seasons. We just have hot, humid, and that's it. So yeah. is there a specific time we should do cleanses or should we not do cleanses? I don't no, know. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I love it when I talk general and then you get the, but I'm in Miami. So yeah, uh, you should cleanse still a few times a year. Look at, I know it's more of a steady climate down there, but there is, my, my grandparents lived in Orlando and I spent a lot of time in Florida and I know there is seasonal changes, even though very subtle. And I would look for the time of year when it's the more of your average temperatures where there's not a lot of excess heat, especially summer. You wouldn't want to do that. You would be able to extend your cleansing season just because of your environment. It wouldn't be, I've, I've wrapped up folks up here in the, the Northern part of the States already from cleansing because we're getting very cold. But if someone, I had someone from the Southern States they would still be able to cleanse a little bit long into the uh, winter season, what we call our winter season. And what's a good temperature if you're in a hot climate that it's okay to cleanse? I'm wondering, is it 80s? Do you have to wait for 70s? What's your high and what's your low? I would look at it that way. And then what would be your average? If you're getting into, if you're into your 80s and 90s every day, 90s and above, that's just too hot for the body. Again, it's an individual, have you lived there all your life? <laughs> What's your reaction when you get into a sauna? Do you love it? Do you hate it? So there's all these individual nuances that would drive whether it was, quote unquote, still okay to cleanse. Now, that being said, I do bring people through cleanses in the summer and winter, but only a short, shortened version of it and only when necessary. So it's not like never cleanse. Don't do that. It is, again, dependent on situation, condition and individual issues that they're dealing with. And can you give us an example of a healthy diet and routine for the body types? Healthy diet is going to be dependent on body type, but healthy diet in general and what we would call in Ayurveda is sattvic or nourishing. So you want to stay with your whole grains. You want to stay with your good, and I'm going back to Western terminology, right? You're going to be with your whole grain cereals, proteins, but mostly plant-based. You want a good variety of your vegetables and fruits. Depending on your body type would be what percentage of those things are sitting on my plate. So if you're a vata type, you would want more of those sweet and grounding foods. It would be okay, and I'm going to say okay because we do recommend mostly plant-based, but the vatas would be okay to be eating more of the denser meat if they needed to. That's how they're going to rejuvenate their bodies. But getting some high quality meat, protein, that sort of thing. And then light on the vegetables because vegetables tend to be airy, except for your denser vegetables, which again, seasonally, you would need to watch that as well. And then light on the fruit. If you're pittas, you need to stay away from all those hot foods. But they're basically the same, I'd say, portion as the vatas with what you would have on your plate, just different types. 
So whole grains, you would want your proteins to be lighter, your chickens, your turkeys, white meat only type of thing. Raw milk is recommended for pittas. Then again, uh, go for the more ether air salad type vegetables because you need that and not the more denser ones, just the opposite of vata, as well as uh, light on the fruit. And then our kaffas, they would get down to fewer portions of whole grains and rice and those denser materials, because again, they're dense already. They would stick with lighter proteins, as with the, the pittas, the chickens, the turkeys, and more beans, garbanzos, and I'm trying to think what is on their list, something with pintos and split peas would be good. They would want 40% of their meals to be vegetable output. 50% of their meals should be vegetable and fruit based. And that's your basic dietary framework for, for Vata Pitta Kapha. But all three should be really looking at light breakfast, heavier lunch lunchtime meals, and light dinners uh, before 6, 7 o'clock at night. And what are your thoughts on exercise and movement daily? What is, let's say, the minimum that we should be doing? And is it different for your body type? Yeah, and it's different during for each season, too. So you wouldn't want your pittas who are high heat in the middle of summer going to a hot yoga class. Nor do you want your vatas who are high ether, air, cold, jumping into a, I'd say, a cold chamber in the middle of winter. So what you want to do is to be aware of that. You also need to be aware of what stage of life you're in. That would have something to do with movement and recommendations. But in general, you do need to keep, even Vatas would want to do something more grounding. So you want them to do more yoga and less running. Our pittas, are, our pittas are driven. So many of our marathon runners and all these, they're just driven when the best thing for them is to do some rejuvenative yoga poses instead and not run so far. And our kaphas, they just don't want to move. They just love yoga and love the slower paced exercises. And they're the ones who really should be kicking it up and kicking it in uh, a little bit more. But again, it's all about finding the right movement that works for you. I often, because I work with a lot of busy women and don't have a lot of time to put that hour every day into going to the gym and working out like crazy. And what I do recommend is to try interval training. And I recommend 12 minutes a day where you just take uh, the first few minutes and warm your body up. However you want to do walking in place outside on the bike, it, jump roping, it doesn't matter, elevate your heart rate. And then for a couple, two to three minutes, get that heart rate up as far as you can without making yourself pass out. You want to be able to maintain the level of intensity while breathing through your nose if you can't, you're, it's too intense, kick it down. Then you want to recover your heart rate for two to three minutes and then spike it back up. And you do that for 12 minutes a day. And some, and that's during a, sorry, that's during a cleanse. 
but outside of that, you want to do that at least three to four times a week. And most of my audience, they're women with either autoimmune or hormonal imbalances. Do you have any Ayurvedic tips for these situations? Oh my God, those that is complex. Autoimmune is, I want to say more Vata related. There's a, a Vata imbalance going on. And what was the other one, Kat? Hormonal imbalance. Uh, that's the meta or the fat layer, the adipose tissue in our body that is not processing and functioning. So that I talked about the shrotas. That's one of the channels that certainly needs attention and some rejuvenation and cleansing protocols. But for the hormonal, again, it depends on age and body type and whatnot. But <clears throat> when I was struggling with that, one of the two best herbs that I could, I, and I recommend them often, and is ashwagandha and shatavari. Those are two hormone balancing herbs that you can take a look at. For autoimmune, actually I just had a client, it is very vata intense and you just need to look at more calming activities. I'm not, I can't recommend a specific herb for that. There are Ashwagandha could, is certainly one that would help, but more rejuvenative therapies such as Shirodhara or those are two that would help to get the lymph moving and stimulate the immune system. How can everyone work with you? And tell us a little bit about your Ageless Living program. Oh, excellent. So Ageless Living is all about learning how to incorporate Ayurveda. And you said, how do we incorporate it into this modern world? It's all about how to take the practices and principles and to make them your own. So it's a six-week program where there's a two-week front end of a dive into your Ayurvedic wellness uh, profile go through uh, development of uh, a review and then building a profile and then building a roadmap is what would be the, with my quality engineering background, what I've done is I've been able to discern the, take the 80-20 rule, right? Where 20% of our effort gives us 80% of our results, where the other 80% that will get us the rest of the 20% of the way there can be worked on over time. So during those first two weeks, we look at, well, what are the 20% of those things that you need to focus on that are going to get you 80% of the way to your results? And so then over the next, once we, we get that figured out over the next four weeks, we work together to implement protocols and I am there to coach them through that process. And then at the end of that, build a 12-month uh, roadmap so that they can keep the momentum um, going. My goal is not to keep clients forever, and it drives my coaches crazy. It is to teach them how to take care of themselves. It's all about self-care. So that's the Ageless Program. And I have a website, yourwaywellness.com and can find all kinds of information there and articles and free stuff on that website.
Are you on any social media platforms as well? I am on, well, the Facebook platform and I am on LinkedIn. Those are the two social media platforms that I have built over the last uh, four years. I'm going to put all of that information in the show notes. And before we go, is there anything else you would like to leave our audience with? I'd just like to say the best thing that you can do is in Ayurveda. I'm not pushing Ayurveda because Ayurveda isn't for everyone. And the best thing you can do is to find out what best self-care you can take on that will get you living the life that you are here to live healthy, happy, and strong. Sharon, thank you so much for your time and sharing with us today. Thank you, Kat. It was a pleasure to be here today. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products, and definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast and listen. You won't regret it. Thank you for listening to the show. Please show your support for the podcast by leaving a five-star review. Learn more about the show and what I have to offer you at katkatibi.com. Consider being a part of the new Patreon, where episodes are ad-free and you'll find extra bonus content. Send a voicemail question or email me. Check the show notes for more information. This podcast is for informational merrymakings and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.